So let's, you may be seated. Thank you for standing to honor God's word. Let's, let's, so, so what happened before this, right? Let's, let's go back and, and talk a little bit about what happened, what just happened, right? Um, you, you hear that term, what just happened, right? What just happened is, is pretty incredible right here. And if you don't understand what was going on at that time in, in the Jewish culture and in the Jewish leadership, you're, you're not going to understand really the fullness of what just happened. First in chapter 1, Jesus and the followers are coming into Jerusalem near where he will be crucified in a couple of days. And he tells a couple of the followers, go get, go, go get me a donkey and a colt. And I, I can imagine, you know, God has a sense of humor. If you have not figured out that God has a sense of humor when you read the scripture, you're missing it. God has a sense of humor because I'm sure these guys were like, go get a donkey, okay? All right, Jesus, whatever, we'll go get the donkey, right? Because after they've seen him heal and do some of the things, you just, you just got to listen, right? You know? So they stop about two miles at Bethpage, about two miles outside of town. And they get these donkeys. If you'll turn to Zechariah 9, 9. Zechariah 9, 9 through 10 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. By the way, when we were worshiping, I'm up here, and I didn't really see how many people were here. But during some of that, I almost turned around to see if anyone was here. Because I'm like, some of that stuff, we should have been like, shout! What happens when we read Scripture, and we, and we go like this, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming. It shouldn't be rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. Right? Shout. Like shout isn't shout. It's shout in triumph. <laughs> hey, go south in the Southern Baptist churches are shouting. Trust me on that. I've been there. I've seen that. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He's righteous and victorious. So he should be on a war horse. You know what I see? Who do you see when you think of someone riding on a war horse? Braveheart? Did someone say that? <laughs> right? I can't do a, an accent like that or a try. But So, look, your king is coming. See, I can't do it. I sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. He is righteous. Never mind. <laughs> Look, your king is coming. He's riding, he is righteous and victorious. Not riding on a war horse like Braveheart, but coming in on a donkey, humble. It says, he is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I'll remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy the weapons used in battle. And your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from the seas to sea. 
and from the Euphrates River to the end of the earth. You see, Jewish culture at that time, or, or just the, the, the culture of that day in Jerusalem and in the Middle East, if you were going to war, you rode a war horse. If you were coming in peace, you rode a donkey. See, that's something we don't know as we read this. But what, what is this? When, when we see something in the Old Testament and then we see Jesus do it, what is that called? Thank you. Fulfilled prophecy. See, I make you guys work a little. So it's better to just speak out. Otherwise, I just go, and my ears are bad because I'm old. Right, Jimmy? Where's Jimmy? The bearded guy. Is he up there? Okay, okay. I just got a point up there when I said Jimmy. We were talking about hair in our ears and what to do about that earlier, right? It's like, where does that come? I can't grow it up here. What's up with that, right? Okay, so what's the point? The point is here we see fulfilled prophecy and that Jesus said, wait, guys, we got to stop. Go get me some donkeys, right? There's a point to that, but we'll get to it. So he rides into town and stirs stuff up in the temple. He cleanses the temple by what? Turning? I was a youth pastor, right? And I got my youth, and I'm teaching on this, on this passage, right? And so <laughs> there's chairs, and they're sitting there. And you know how youth are when you're teaching? You're like, you know. And, and I'm teaching about Jesus coming into the temple. And then all of a sudden, I go down there, and I start throwing chairs, you know. And they're like, like, what is going on, you know? And it's like, see, we think that Jesus... I don't know what we think. Do we think that he went, excuse me, I'm going to, can you move from your table? House. And you're turning it into a den of robbers, of thieves in some translations. He, I mean, that's how I read it. Is that how you read it? Yep. He was ticked. So the rest of the 21 Matthew 21 teaches, he's teaching in the temple in parables. And he, he shuts down the scribes and the elders. They tried to ask or question his authority on what gave him the right to teach in the temple. Okay, you see, what's going on is Jesus is starting to frustrate the religious leaders and the political leaders of that day. Because they all wanted power. And so Jesus, what he, what he does is he, he, what Jesus did when he wanted someone to go away or to ponder something or to get a bigger, a bigger understanding of something, what did he do? He spoke in parables, thank you. So what he does is, is they say, who gives you the right to teach and they probably said, our temple. <laughs> Whose temple is it? Jesus already said when he flipped the tables, right? So who gives you the right? And Jesus asked them a question about JTB. John the Baptist, right? You know JTB. Um, so he asked them a question about John the, John the Baptist. And they, they have to meet because they know 
the ones who come to trap Jesus, Jesus goes, he's probably like with his, with his, with his uh, followers, watch this. <laughs> he gives them this question about John the Baptist. They have to talk and meet because they say, if we say this, he's going to say this. And if we say this, he's going to say that. So you know what they have to do? These are, these are serious religious leaders. They have to say, we don't know. You know, like they, they can't reply because Jesus is going to trap them one way or the other. You can't trick Jesus. Say that with me. You can't trick Jesus. The religious leaders of that day were learning this in real time, right now, right? You know what's crazy? 2,000 plus years later, we're still confused about whether we can trick Jesus or not, right? It's down the scribes and the elders. That brings us to Matthew 22, where he begins with, with another parable. It's about the feast or the banquet. Your, your, your Bible may have a title of it's about the feast or the banquet. And so what this is, is the master or king is not satisfied with a partially full banquet hall. Look around. I meant to bring some steel-toed shoes this morning and set them up here for anybody that might need them this morning because I don't play around, <laughs> okay? Look around. Is the banquet hall full? It isn't. Now, I know some of you personally, I know your hearts, I know you love Jesus and you want to see other people know Jesus. But our banquet halls are not full. That means we're not doing something. It's not the pastor's fault. We're the church. I love the sign that says, the church has left the building, and it shows people going out of the building. This is a building. You are the church. And you know what God desires? And that's what this whole parable is about. He desires for the, the banquet hall to be full. See, God is more willing to save people than people are willing to be saved. And you know what we can do? We can sit here and go, that's right, preacher. That's why these pews are empty. That's right, amen. But here's the thing. God plus us equals sharing the gospel. Jesus didn't say sit, stay like a puppy. He said go. He, didn't he say go? See, we already know that. But part of it is what do we do, right? Isn't that... I know your hearts break thinking, I know people that need Jesus, but they're not coming. We'll get there. Those who ignored the invitation to the banquet chose their own punishment. They will never 
taste the joys of heaven. That breaks my died of a brain. I had two teenage daughters. My first wife died of a brain tumor. Zach and I were talking about this that, that this morning. Is that fair? You know what people want to say? People looked at me and they said, I watched you through that. I wanted to see if you were the real deal. Thanks, man. How'd I do, right? Like, what do you say to that? But I get what they were saying. But here's the thing. See, my wife dying of cancer, leaving two teenage daughters with me alone, broke my heart. I was more broken than I... You know, heartache, it's not, it's not just a, a thing. Like, I realized for the first time in my life that my heart could hurt. But what it also did is it showed me, because I had to, I had to go deep. I'm like, God, I, like, you know, I checked the boxes. I go to church, you know, try to be a good father and husband, teach Bible studies, play in a worship team. I'm checking a lot of boxes. God, why are you taking my wife, dude? I see people walking away from their wife. Interesting enough, at that merry time, I go to a promise keepers meeting, and, and I, I went up and away from some of the folks I was with to be by myself, and another guy's sitting up there by himself too. There's this moment where the guy says, I want you to get, get with someone, whoever's in that, you know, closest to you, and I want you to share in whatever it was he was sharing. He wanted us to share. So me and this guy are like, oh, crap. I don't even know this dude. And I'm like supposed to open my heart out to him. But we're like, we're kind of, we, we look at each other, our eyes lock, and we're like, okay, we're in, you know. So we go, and he goes first. You know what he was telling me? You, you think God doesn't work in 2018? I don't remember what year this was, but let me tell you something. How many was there? There's like 20,000, 30,000 men in this stadium, right? I happen to go up sit where another dude is. He sits, he, we come together, and he goes, I'm, I'm struggling whether I should divorce my wife. And you know what the reasons were? I want to get a boat, I want to get a motorcycle, you know, it's all this stuff. And it's my turn to share. And I say, dude, I would do anything to keep my wife. And I can't. So you do with it what you want, but, but you better humble yourself before God. I, I mean, do you believe another dude? I go on the break and move up to be alone. Another dude is there, and God brings us together because God wanted to, 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 to move in his heart, and he wasn't getting his attention. If we look, and if we're available God will use us. You see, losing my wife wasn't the fact or proof that God doesn't exist. It's proof that he, it further emphasizes the fact that he let his only son die for me because he knew this isn't heaven. Jesus promised in this world you will have what? Trouble. Yet this is our shock face. You don't want you want to know what God's shock face is? In this world you have trouble. And a tear 
is in his eye because he loves us so much. But instead of trusting God and knowing that this isn't heaven, we try to make this heaven. And so when we face trouble, trials, we turn from him instead of allow him to, to, to put his arms around us. Let, let, your, let your love surround us. Hold me close, right? Trials, trouble, death goes back to the fall, folks. We have a fallen world that we are living in that is broken. And so here we are, and what happens is it just further emphasizes our need for the cross and the fact that that God so loved us that he knew he had to go to that extent to let his only son die for us. Amen? I don't know what you're dealing with today when you walked in here. And you may be carrying a burden harder than than what I carried. And I've had others. It's not about that. What it is about is that God, and you may or may not be in a battle or in trials or trouble, but it doesn't change the fact that this isn't heaven, but there's a lot of people that are dying and they don't have that opportunity. So Jesus is really stirring things up, teaching in the temple. The Jewish leaders at this point are the Herodians, which is a political group, the Sadducees, which is an upper class. They didn't really believe in the resurrection. Remember the Bible song that you sang in Bible school, the the sheep song? I just want to be a sheep. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're Sadducee, right? They don't believe in the resurrection. Some of you guys are going, what is he talking about? Go to Bible school this, this year, VBS, and, well, they don't even do those songs anymore. Never mind. Get with someone who used to teach those. Get with an old person around here. They'll teach you the sheep song. It's awesome. Sadducees. There were the majority of the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court of that time, basically, and the Pharisees. There was a lesser number of them in the Sanhedrin, but they were more middle-class business-type people, and so they had favor with the the common people, right? So they're all getting ticked because Jesus is, is getting in the middle of their power struggle. You see, the... Sadducees didn't like the Pharisees. The Sadducees were, you know, more strict in one way with the Scripture. The Pharisees added some, some, some other rules and laws. And, and so they don't like each other. And, and the Herodians, they're like the political guys. And these guys are taking some of their power, just like, you know, the church can be a, a threat to government, right? So it's a mess. You're like, where is this going? We're getting there. Can you get there faster? <laughs> two hours. I gotta. I gotta take up two hours, and I'm talking kind of fast, you know. So, I'm not gonna take two hours. So pay real close attention. All right. So here's the thing. They're all ticked about Jesus getting in their stuff. In chapter 22, verse 15, the Herodians try to trick Jesus with a tax code question. 
Jesus says who's on the coin, hey Caesar, right? Remember that? Someone. And the Bible says they were amazed and walked away. Like, here they are trying to take Jesus down, and he just keeps messing them up. Right? Scribes, the lawyers, the Herodians. Who's up next? Well, next, oh, and we already covered the Sadducees. <laughs> so here we are in verse 23, and that's what we read this morning. Everybody's already struck out. Now, the Pharisees are like, we got this, right? Watch this. They, that's what this, this passage is about. And I really want you to understand this. They're known as the experts of the law, right? They memorize the Torah by age 12. What's the Torah? Or Torah? First five books of the Old Testament. They don't memorize the names. They're not like, Genesis, Exodus, right? They memorize the Torah. The first five books of like, I, You know, what's your birthday? You're the one. I mean, come on, really? The first five books by 12. They knew the Ten Commandments, but memorized another 613 laws as a path to holiness, right? Part of the ritual was called the Shema. And if you could put that slide up. The Shema was a prayer that goes back to Deuteronomy. 6, 4 through 6. Oh, it's too blurry. I didn't give them a high enough. Uh, so, so what it says, and, and you read Hebrew backwards, so it starts over here and then goes down and then goes down and then goes down. But basically what it says is, listen, O Israel, in the New uh, Living Translation, yours might say, hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands as I'm giving you today. So here is what they did. And then can you show the, the picture? The, 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 uh, the, yeah, the Pharisee. Okay, so what they did was they were trying to be so legalistic, right, that they would actually, these are, this is a leather box on their head, and there's a leather box wrapped around and, and onto their, their wrist. And so what they were trying to do, because we're supposed to, you know, write it on our minds and on our wrists, on our hands, right? So they took it literal, and, and in their prayer time, they would actually, in, in this verse... 
Hear, O Israel, is on a paper in the box. Okay? Because they, they're, they're striving for holiness. Why is this important? This Shema was the most important prayer. They said it two times a day in prayer every day. Why is this important? Because when Jesus, at this point, when the, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what is the greatest commandment? They're trying to trick Jesus. Okay? Here's what Jesus does. You can go to the, the Ten Commandments. And again, it's, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you every day. So what Jesus did, I need a microphone up here. You ever hear that term, drop the microphone? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, yeah, no. Jesus invented that, okay? Because what he did was they're trying to trick Jesus, and they want an answer from Jesus, and Jesus says, not only does he, see the other one? He told them a parable, and they knew if they answered it. So he asked them a question back. This time, he wanted to show them, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that they couldn't trick Jesus. And there's such an importance to this passage that we're, we read this morning and that we're going to talk about application and how we can apply this to our life today. Because all this stuff about the Jewish leaders and all that stuff, it's like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get that. Or maybe I've totally lost you guys. You're just like, I don't know what he's yammering about. But man, hope he finds a point somewhere in there, right? Here's the point, okay? And then I'll, I'll, I'll expand that. The Ten Commandments, when Jesus says the first, love the Lord your God, right? And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. The first four commandments, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods. Love the Lord your God, right? Second one, thou shalt not make a graven image. Love the Lord. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Love God, right? It comes down to two. Love God, love people. Four, remember the Sabbath. Love God. The next six are love people. Honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. You're welcome, those who have teenagers in the room, if they're here. <laughs> that wasn't even funny, was it? <laughs> so... Thou shalt not kill, love people. Thou shalt not commit adultery, love people. Thou shalt not steal, love people. Thou shalt not bear false witness, love people. Thou shalt not covet, love people. Thank you. So what he did was he took the Ten Commandments, set them in two so that he covered all of them, and they went... It's kind of like that Napoleon Dynamite walk. Gosh, you know, they're like, you know, they're standing there. How about this one, Jesus? 
your little fake teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And then they go, right? So what's all that mean? Let's go back and, and, and read that passage again. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. The greatest commandment, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees earlier, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. He gives back to them the Shema that they know because they quote it twice a day. They don't think he can even teach. They don't think he even knows the scripture. And yet, now what does that mean to us? How does this apply to today? You see, so many times we get caught up in the law. I got to go to church. Which is a good thing, right? You're like, what is this guy doing? He says, there's not enough people and don't believe in the law, right? Okay, the law. On the first, the first point in your bulletin, you see, what Jesus is really saying is it's not about the law. Where it says L-A-W, put in there, love always wins. You see, the big idea here is what Jesus was trying to get in the mind of the Pharisees they had all this knowledge, kind of like, you know, me as part of the church, as a, as a church planter. We brought some planters, right, Zach? <laughs> These are planters, right? I'm a church planter. It's kind of funny to me. But anyway, so there's a point with these too. But as a church planter, I realize that we have been so busy seeking knowledge and growing in our discipleship, which is a good thing. That we come for, and most churches aren't doing this, this now, but we, we come Wednesday for prayer meeting and Bible study. We go to, to, to church on Sunday morning, and we go to you know, Sunday school, and we go to church, and, and then we go back to church on Sunday night, and we're gaining all this knowledge. And basically what we're looking like is Pharisees, because we're gaining all this knowledge, and we're doing nothing with it. I'm surprised we weren't wearing boxes on our heads. <laughs> I'm a good church person. I got it written on my head. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. He's, he's here. He's awake. We're good. So law versus love. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, in your outline, it says, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Isn't that interesting? Come all those days to come to church and then go to small group and all those things and do Bible studies and watch preachers online. We're getting all this knowledge, all this knowledge. But what it says here is knowledge makes us feel important. You know, some version, if you have it in your Bible, some of them say knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. What is when we feel important? What does being puffed up mean? Prideful, yeah, it's pride. 
So learn to, the next point is lead with love. See, we always want to lead with knowledge. When someone says, I'm not a believer or something, we're like, oh, let me give them all my knowledge. Or I can't share Jesus with them because I don't have enough knowledge yet because I've only been going to church for 17 years, three times a week, sometimes four, whether I like it or not, just so I can put the box on my head and prove that I'm a Pharisee. Wait. You know who I'm talking about? Me. Imply to yourself if you, if, if you need to. But that's, I started, we started to plan a church. I started realizing what we have done is we've, we've gained so much knowledge, but we've lost our, our heart to fill the banquet room, the banquet hall. People don't know Jesus because they don't know Jesus. Like, that's brilliant. <laughs> People don't know Jesus because they don't know Jesus. What does that mean? Somebody's got to tell them. Now, there are cases where people watch Billy Graham on TV or they've picked up a Bible in a hotel room and God can move in that way. But you know, He's really called us. It's, it's not a special spiritual gift that only a few people get. Prayer, sharing your story, and the love of Christ, those are things that, that we do as a response because love always wins. Who knew the scripture better than anyone? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? During Jesus' time, Right? Who killed Jesus? <laughs> so knowledge builds up. They were so prideful that he was stepping on their toes, and he said, let's just kill him. Now, that was part of the sovereignty of God to fulfill his plan. But, but can't we look at that and learn? Let me ask you this. Which is harder, to know something or to do something. Which is harder? To do. How many of y'all know about marathons? How many of y'all know there's about how many miles in that? That's pretty easy to know, right? How many of you have run a marathon? Nobody? I, I was gonna one time. I bought new shoes and everything. <laughs> I never even made a mile, man. Like, I mean, gee whiz, I know all about a marathon, but I, I didn't do it. Is it harder to know somebody or love somebody? Love somebody. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Jesus knew that it's harder to love somebody than it is to know somebody. We all know a lot of somebodies. And you know, so many times, oh, praying for you. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. Praying for you. That's awesome. Prayer is good. 
The next point is love was your starting line to eternity. For this is how God, what? Loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever, that, that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. The next point is four words. One, never. Two, never. Three, never. Four, ever. Never, 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 ever forget. The love God has poured out to save you for eternity. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you feel something. Your mind is being challenged. The Holy Spirit is, is drawing you towards God and his love. And isn't that magnificent? Because you know what? There is not a single person in this room that was saved by a man that was led to Christ by a man. The Bible says unless the Holy Spirit draws you, then you can't be saved. Don't ever get confused that if you have an opportunity to be a tool of God, you know, he used to say, you're a tool. It's like a bad thing, right? Like, I want to be a tool. I want to be, be a tool for God, right? Don't be a tool. You want to be a tool for God. You want to be the instrument that the Holy Spirit gives words to to take what he's already doing in somebody's life and lead them to the first day of their eternity. Now, let's not misunderstand what I'm saying. Your eternity with God. We all are going to have an eternity. You will either. I used to, I used to think, you know, I got I to tell people how bad hell is and, and, and let them know that, that Jesus loves them. You know what's worse? Separation from God. Separation from God's love is the worst thing that you can have. And hell is bad, obviously, if you read the scripture. Love was your starting line to eternity, and never forget that. If you're feeling that, that, that God is doing something in your heart this morning, it's, it's, not, it's not false. It's not fake. It's the Holy Spirit is already doing a work in you, and I'm so excited for that. I really am. The next point is the power of love. In verse 22 of Galatians 5 and 23, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And what is the first thing? What is the first thing? What is the first thing? That's it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You know that if we are so consumed by God's love, then those things are all going to be a fruit of our lives. 
See, love is the fuel to live a life led by the Spirit. How do you fuel the Spirit? Love. Love is the fuel to live a life led by the Spirit. Y'all been talking about the Spirit, haven't you? You've been in Acts, right? The Spirit is going to help you know who to speak with. It's going gonna, it's gonna to produce fruit in your life that people say, I want to be around that. You know part of the reason why people don't come to church and don't hang out in church? Because they know Christians. I shouldn't be smiling about that, should I? If we were all to be honest in here, we would probably have to say, there are times in my life I've been in the world and, 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 and if, if they were to make a choice about being a Christian or not based on meeting me, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe it's because I'm not producing the kind of fruit in my life. What does it say there? There is no L-A-W, L-A-A law, L-A-W law against these things. Why? L-A-W should be lead. Love always wins. Thank you. I was testing you there. Love always wins, right? If love is winning in our life, we're going to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Now you see what Huey's talking about, the power of love? He didn't even know what he's really talking about. What he's talking about is love always wins. Some of y'all don't even know who Huey Lewis is, and I'm sorry about that. John 14, 15 through 17. Turn to John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. Jesus hadn't left yet, so the Holy Spirit, he had not sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to walk with them and indwell them. But obey my commands. You see, typically, when we're looking for something from God and to have great strength to, to serve God, there's an if-then. If I love God and obey my commands, then... The Holy Spirit is going to live in full power in you. So many times we're just looking for the Holy Spirit. Come on, Holy Spirit, do something. Well, we haven't been in the Word of God. We haven't been in prayer. We don't have the fuel for the Holy Spirit to even work in us. If you run out of gas in your car, what happens? Your car is worthless. You are worthless if you run out of fuel. And how do we get the fuel of the Holy Spirit? 
Greg Parable covered a lot of this, is, is, is we have to, we'll get there. Let's, let's keep going. Love is the greatest. The last point. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't what? But didn't love others. I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13.1 Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You see where this is going? Jesus said, love the Lord your God. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I remember, some of you may remember this. Greg at one point was preaching, and he said, you know how I know that we as a people are selfish? If I put a picture up here of a group and you were in that group, who would you look for first? <laughs> it's like, oh, where's my steel toe boots? Because Greg just. And fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wants to invite us to invite him into every area of our life. He wants our love to, to be with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. And he wants us to love, love our neighbors as ourselves. He wants to come into your physical health. And, and, you know, I was diagnosed with something over a year ago. Lost my vision. I can only see out of one eye now. I have chronic pain now that I have never understood what chronic pain was, and I do now, right? But I can invite Jesus to come into that, and I can overcome through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I can rise up above it. Because he is our source of strength. Whether it's physical, whether it's your marriage. You, you may be like this dude that was up at, at, at Promise Keepers. Like, I'm out. Love the Lord your God. Your, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbors yourself. And by the way, your neighbor is your wife or your husband, your kids. All of a sudden, things start changing when we do the greatest command, which is two, which covers all of the commands, right? In your workplace, even most importantly, for you to start this morning your afterlife. Maybe you've never taken that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you believe in him this morning, you start your eternity towards heaven. God is in the business of transformation. The church plant that we're, we're starting is Transformation Church. 
life transformation. He can make miracles out of messes, leaders out of losers. Maybe you've come in here this morning, you're feeling like you're failing. God can pick you up. We could be like the Apostle Paul, transformed out of a life of hatred and violence, a Pharisee, by the way, into the greatest missionary and leader in, our, in the early church. Or like John Newton, who feared and hate, was a feared and hated slave trader, who was transformed into the godly pastor and hymn writer, authoring amazing grace. Like my story, or your story, Right? Sometimes the answer is right in front of us. We're looking for, for some answer, and it's two. Love God, love people, and let God sort the rest out. While some of the Jewish leaders didn't see who the Messiah was and ultimately killed him, there was one named Nicodemus in John 3. He was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, we all know that God sent you to teach us your miracles, your miraculous signs and evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can wear boxes on your head. You can memorize the Torah. But unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Love always wins. That's the law. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning just so grateful